0: That we see to do that is to look afresh at the story and not just the birth of Christ, but the people in whom God chose to reveal himself to um, the good news to first, that we know God himself is a God who is drawing all people to himself. But why is it that? He reveals himself to the lowly, the least, the last, and the lost first, and what does that mean for our ministry and our life as a people of God? And so as you see here on the left, as as you get this, is going week one, we're looking at unmarried, pregnant, and poor. So today we'll look at the story of Mary. Uh, Mary herself and its story is unique because as Protestant Christians, we don't really talk about Mary a whole lot. Um, If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you've heard a lot about Mary, but for us, we're like, Mary is just like one of us, and it's like... No, I'm not really sure if we've ever carried the Savior, right? And so there's there's a lot of things to Mary's life that we can learn about who God is and what He's doing. Week two is how Jesus is revealed. Um, the good news to the shepherds. And the shepherds may or may not have been alike or akin to migrant workers in our days, people who are on the lowest of the economic uh, rung to be able to say, God says, I want to show up and bring you good news. This is what I'm doing in the world. And then week three, Jesus as a refugee, that he's born into this world and then he has to leave his country. Um, And we'll talk about that. And lastly, Week four is how he's a God of all people and how he's drawn us to himself, and so he's the people's champ, and so that week we'll have boxing matches on stage. We'll see who can win, and uh, just an illustration we'll have. So along with Advent, we have our Advent offering, and so there are three major areas in which we are giving money towards. That means money that's above and beyond our normal giving. Uh, many of them you've heard of already. The first area is going to be foster care and adoption. And that is our ministry with redemption as a whole to meet and to care and to respond to the need of the crisis uh, that we have in our state in the foster care system and to come alongside uh, families and men and women and workers, etc. that are in that area. And so we're going to have a portion of the money will go towards foster care and adoption. Number two is refugee ministry. And that is we are working with World Relief, an organization that's been around for years that is resettling um, refugees here in the East Valley. It's the first and only place in the East Valley where refugees will be resettled. And so we're gonna help them uh, facilitate their offices as well as, as a church, come alongside them um, in their ministry to aid in the people we believe that God is bringing to our neighborhoods. And so a part of the proceeds will go there. And then lastly, China. And in China, there's multiple things we're doing, but the highlight three... One is we have missionaries that are sent over there from our congregation that are working with an organization called ELIC, which helps train and teach students there English. Um, also, we are um, our support goes to church plants that are there in that area, and then lastly, people that are working alongside the marginalized in their community, primarily those in the HIV community. And so, um, above and beyond our normal giving, um, you can go ahead and start giving online. It's to those three. Now, lastly. Lastly, and this is time sensitive, we have Affordable Christmas, which many of you have heard of because we talked about it, but we will have. Um, an opportunity for us as the church to wrap our arms and love around the people in our neighborhood. Um, many in this church and many outside of this church and outside of the church in general that, that are find themselves in economic situations where they cannot provide the type of Christmases that many of us can provide for our children. And so we are going to have gifts to be able to sell to them at an extremely discounted price. Those proceeds that, they, that come from the gifts will go towards another foster care uh, project in which we're a part of, Foster Care Initiatives. Um, but what we need from you all is if you want to volunteer, if you look at the back of your brochure, you can go on and volunteer. We need volunteers. We need about 150. Um, And also, we need 1,500 gifts. How many did I say? 1,500. Okay, we got like eight. And so uh, next Sunday is the last Sunday to bring in the gifts. So here's what you heard. We need 1,500 gifts, and people are going to bring in gifts. And if you heard that, you heard exactly wrong, right? You should hear... No one's going to bring gifts. These people don't care about anybody. It's on me. I have to bring as many gifts as I possibly can so that that there's a bunch of gifts for the kids, and so I'm probably going to bring four or five gifts. Maybe you should have heard something like that. And then maybe you probably heard, I'm not going to just get cheap gifts. If I have the resources, I'm going to get some good gifts, right? So I'm going to picture myself as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old boy or girl, and I'm going to get myself that that whatever you wanted at that time and bring that, a bike, limo, like whatever whatever, whatever it is, and then bring the gifts in next week. And so we do have a list that you can find online here for the items that, that need to be brought. And if you're like, I can't really afford it myself, Find somebody, put your resources together, bring two or three gifts, because we don't have 1,500 people that go to this church. And so that means we do have to double up and bring in gifts so that many families in our neighborhood will be able to uh, be blessed by this. But again, next Sunday is the last Sunday for that. So I know that's a lot. It's a lot for me. Um, Hold on to this and then read over it, pray over it, think through financially what God is calling you to, and then tangibly to serve and also a gift or gifts, plural, uh, that you can be able to, to bring. Um, So without further ado, if you guys have your Bibles, why don't you guys go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be at this morning, Luke chapter 1. And then if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high, and then one of the ushers will walk down your aisle and get you a copy of the Bible. Again, keep it raised really high, Uh, hold your spot at Luke chapter 1, and direct your eyes uh, to the screen for this video.
1: disgraced that's what they call me shamed or pitied by passerby disowned by friends and neighbors their constant whispers are always meant for me to hear who has touched her Where will she go? How can she afford this? Isn't she embarrassed? Ashamed? Afraid? But I will not fear. Because the Lord is with me. The Lord is within me. My spirit rejoices in my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me. Blessed.
0: If you're with me in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, hear now the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to hear and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. One of the things I I love about um, artists in general is artists have the ability and creative people have the ability to communicate things that we can't necessarily just create with our own words. Here's what I mean. that They're able to tell the truth about a situation far better than maybe we can with our own words. And we see something similar in, in the story of Christmas when we think about God. If you think about God as a creator, which is what he is, he creates this world, and we see that God himself constantly goes through the work of new creation through his son, Jesus. And I think what he's trying to do, as we begin to see in this series, is just kind of subvert some of the dominant stories that we hear that may not be consistent with the story that he's trying to tell. That he begins to subvert, as we see through Mary and Christ entering through the world through her, is the the story of significance. Because in Mary, we have this poor and seemingly insignificant girl, yet God calls her significant. And then through Mary, we begin to see strength. When our culture strength is ultimately what we can do with our own might and our own hands, and yet through Mary, it sees what we can see and allow and submit to what God is doing. And even Power. The way that we view power so often is what is in politics, what are in business structures, what's in the marketplace, and then yet Mary says, wait a minute, the way the story of the world tells power is far differently, and it's not found in anything that we can elect or vote for or draw or paint, but ultimately in that which is given us through Jesus, and he begins to retell the story. Um, how many of you guys have ever seen the show or watched the show Homeland? Anybody? few of you guys. I've never seen the show, to be honest with you. I just know Claire Danes is in the show, and forever, she's, she's Romeo's boo thing to me. But there's, there's, there's a show, Homeland, that supposedly takes place in um, an Arabic culture, etc. However, it's filmed in Berlin, Germany, and they wanted some authentic graffiti art. And so they thought what they would do is they would just go to some artist in that land and say, hey, why don't you guys uh, come over here and do some authentic graffiti art in Arabic? Um. Here's the thing. The artists didn't like the show. They didn't think the show was telling an accurate portrait or story of their homeland. No pun intended, right? Um, and so the artists, being as creative as artists said, yeah, we'll 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 do it. We'll we'll make the graffiti. And so they made the graffiti. And so here's a picture. So that's one of them. Now what you don't know, and I didn't know until I read this article about a year ago, is that actually, this ha- they show this during one of the scenes of, of the show. It says, Homeland is not a series. <laughs> and, and there's other ones that say, Homeland is not real. I mean, and they just make a mockery. One of them even says, Black Lives Matter, which was just like, what? <laughs> right, and, and their whole point is just trying to say, we're gonna communicate the real story here as you're trying to communicate a dominant culture story. And I I absolutely, when I read that, I thought it was comical on one hand because you want to be authentic and you don't even know what it says. And so like, sure, we'll be authentic. We'll just tell people that this is not the way it's supposed to be is what they're saying. And when you get into Christmas and the story of Christmas, unfortunately, when we tell the story of Christmas, it's really happy clappy and Christmas should be joyful because it's about God coming in this world. It's not a sad time. But the way in which God entered in is in such a way to say it's not the way it's supposed to be. He doesn't enter in the way that everybody wants him to enter in. He doesn't come immediately to the people, um, the type of people that everybody wanted him to. Now, we knew scripturally that he was going to come to people of Israel, but he doesn't come to the elite of Israel. He doesn't come to the haves, but he shows up and the haves not. And so when he shows up, he shows up to this teenage girl, Mary, Mary. And oftentimes, we have beautiful pictures of Mary, and she's got a beautiful uh, a picture of what maybe baby Jesus looked like somewhere in the European culture um, that, that we have, right? And we have these beautiful pictures, and we look, this is Christmas. But when you look at the story afresh, you hear something. Almost you hear God saying, not only is he coming to be with his people, but the types of people that he's coming to be with, he's calling that those who are his people to be with those people as well. That he shows himself to the people who would never would have thought that God would have showed up to them. And I think there's some cues that we can take from that just as a people. In fact, when you read through the Scriptures, and and you can trace it through certain themes, one of the themes you can look through the Scriptures is that of an exile, someone who's longing to be at home with God. We see this picture in the very beginning where God is actually dwelling with Adam and Eve. And what sin does is when it comes into this world, it doesn't give Adam and Eve the inability to obey or do good things. But it separates them from right relationship with God in the space in which they would inhabit, ultimately, this relationship with God. And as the story progresses, even though God is pursuing them, the people of God find themselves not in the land in which God would want them to be. And then finally, when they get to the land and they have the presence of God in the tabernacle, they don't worship him fully as they ought to. But they begin to listen to the competing narratives and stories of the cultures around them. Which they find themselves, again, in their own consequences of their own sin and rebellion in relationship with God, they find themselves exiled. And in exile, God speaks to them, and he comforts them, and he cures them of their idolatry, of their, again, false worship of the competing narratives around them. And then God brings them back to their place. They rebuild the temple, and they expect for the presence of God to be there, but they don't have it. And for 400 years, there's silence. There's no prophet that's speaking. No one's telling him about God. And so they have their scriptures and they're reading and they're longing for Jesus to come. They're longing for the Messiah to show up. And when he shows up to be with them, that this longing to be with, he comes in a place and a time and a city that no one really would think that he would come from. Look Look at verse 26 with me again. It says In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named. Nazareth. First, we've got to start off just talk about Nazareth. Um, Nazareth is not the place that if, if you were going to start a kingdom campaign, you would show up, right? Like, you wouldn't start there. Um, it's not a place. I mean, Gabriel is sent from God, and my, my, my thought is maybe Gabriel's there with God in heaven and they're having this conversation. I don't know how they would talk to each other, but just go with it. And so Gabriel's talking to God, and God's like, all right, now's the time to reveal this final act of redemption, and so I need you to go down to uh, Jerusalem. and th- not Jerusalem, outside of, just go to Nazareth. You know, Gabriel's probably like, I don't even know where Nazareth is. He goes, Here, here's, a, here's MapQuest or something, right? And he's like, MapQuest? I'm like, God, MapQuest? Really? Do you know what year it is? He goes, it doesn't matter. I'm above time. Just, just go, right? And so Gabriel shows up. And he goes to Nazareth. And what we know from Scripture is people say, is there anything good that can come from Nazareth? Like, and so it's not an ideal place. I mean, think of it if we think of in our modern, modern time, it would be a little bit more gritty. It would be a little bit more cylinder block and wires with Jordans hanging from them or something like that, right? It would be a little bit more of a neighborhood and a place that people wouldn't be proud to say they're from. I mean, you just think about it, where we're from. For those of us who are not from Arizona, or even if you are from Arizona, but you find yourself in places that, that outside of the state, you never tell people where you're really from. You ever notice that? Where are you from? If you're from like California, you're like, oh, uh, uh, you don't say you're from Rancho Cucamonga or Burbank. You go, I'm from LA, right? And it's like, no, no, that's not LA. <laughs> that's Cucamonga, <laughs> right? Um, if, you're, if you're from the Midwest somewhere, you don't say you're from St. Charles or Crystal Lake. You're like, no, nah, I'm from Chi-town, you know, Cubs fan die, right? It's like, no, you're really not from Chicago. You're from outside of Chicago, but you never would say that, right? And Phoenix is the same way. When people who are not from Phoenix, they never say they're from Ahwatukee or something. Never, right? right? They're like, well, technically, Ahwatukee's Phoenix. And so, like, like I'm from Phoenix. and from the south side, actually, right? It's like, no, you're on the other side of the mountain. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> so, like, we don't ever say where we're from. There's almost like this, we want to be from a more significant Place. Well, imagine if you're from a place that's like not really near anything else, right? Like, what if you're like, yeah, you know, where are you from? Uh, I'm, I'm from Gilabin or Gilabin, I'm sorry. The jeez, silent, right? And it's like, what's that near? On the way somewhere <laughs> and on the way back from somewhere, right? And, and, and that's where you're like, that's that, think of that as the Galilee and God Himself saying, I'm gonna leave the comforts of heaven, I'm gonna come into this world and I'm going to show up here. And so making the story more real. And so now the angel shows up to Mary. Now, here's the context. We probably think Mary was in the, in somewhere the age of 12 to 15, because most literature in time lets us know that that was the appropriate time for young women to be married at that time. Um, chances are she grew up in a, as a peasant and not a princess. Um, chances are that she was a poor girl, a very, very hardworking girl, from probably a hardworking family. Chances are being a Jewish girl that she was raised around the stories of the Bible, and we'll pull that out more a little bit later. Um, she was what we know from the, this story is that she was betrothed or like engaged to Joseph. And engagement was not like engagements now. Um, or our engagements are the real deal. Like there was a girl who like came to me after the service, or before the service, she was like, Pastor, look, and she just put her hand out there, right? Like, and I was like, What's that? She was like, look, right? And I saw the ring and I was like, you go, girl, right? And so <laughs> she was excited. But their engagements were like, like you had a contract and it was a legality. Like if you tried to break an engagement, like you had to go to court and so forth. Like this was serious. And because they were arranged marriages and so forth, like dad was involved. I don't have a girl, right? And I think the Lord did that on purpose because she'd never get married. And so there, there's, 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 there's this real sense where she's heavily committed to Joseph, um, and she's engaged. She's probably living at her father's house and her parents' house at this moment, but nonetheless, a young, poor girl. That's, that's the story that we have of Mary. Well, it continues here, and he says in verse 28, he says, and he came to her, this is Gabriel, he came to her saying, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And again, we fast forward this, like, she's greatly troubled. Why is she greatly troubled? Because an angel's talking to her, guys. Right? Let's just be honest. Angels just don't show up talking to people. And we have an, again, we have an ideal of angels, and our ideas of angels are usually these little ornaments that we hang on our Christmas tree or around during this time, I remember one of the first times my wife came to be with my family, she noticed that all of the ornaments of angels and Santa Claus, and even the picture of the Lord's Supper, she goes, everybody's black. And I said, well, at your house, everyone's white. <laughs> Just all identification, right? So the black angel shows up to Mary, and, and in this, <laughs> and I'm gonna leave it at that. She show, Gabriel shows up and he starts speaking with her and she's freaked out as she should be. Like, even if she believes that the angel is from God, why would she think he would come to her? Right? Some of us get this experientially and some of us don't. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll unpack this real quick for us. Is that some of us, we grew up expecting things, right? We expected certain things. Like it wasn't, like I think about my kids right now and I try to tell my kids, you guys live an amazing life. Like this year has been, I think, the most amazing year for my five and seven year old. They got to be in a stinking commercial. Um, they were uh, a part of, them. they won championships in their sports. I mean, we were on the plane getting ready to go to Seattle. This guy walks on the plane, and he goes, hey, aren't you the two kids from the commercial? My oldest was like, yeah, yeah, if you can keep going, we're in first class, just, you guys are, you know, right? There's this sense of going, your life's amazing. Like you're, you have no idea. Um, they, they were a part of this kid's business fair and my son was gonna sell some t-shirts. And I tried to give him some perspective, just going, do you realize the privilege you have that not everybody has? I said, I could have never been able to do this. He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, you just asked me for a $500 loan and that you're gonna make shirts and you're gonna sell it and you're good for it, and you're seven, right? <laughs> what, if I would've gone, what? If I would've gone to Brenda store and said, Ma, I need a loan of $500, said, boy, bye right? That would have been a done deal. And like, like they, they have a certain life that they expect things. Like, it wouldn't, like, it may be better for them that an angel would show up. Like, an angel would probably show up to them, especially and they go, it's about time. I was wondering when you was going to get here, Gabriel, G, right? And so, some of us expect things. However, however, there are many of us in this room, who have grown up in a certain way or even live in a certain way now, and especially many of us in this world that we live in, they would have never expected something good to happen in their place. That sometimes there are social, economical things, um, there are structures and systems that are in place, there are narratives that have been told to you that are being reinforced by the people that you're around, the people who you love, the people that you don't love, et cetera, over and over again, that somehow you have believed that nothing good could come to you. And especially when the dominant story is, can anything good happen in Nazareth? Mary probably thought, can anything good ever happen to me? Even though she, as a little girl growing up, has probably heard of the stories of how God has shown up to women like her before. Do you ever begin to think that God would do this to me? So when an angel shows up to her, she's not just thinking, oh, okay, I get this just happened. This is part of God's plan. They're gonna be telling this story for years and years to come, I get it. No. She's trying to discern what sort of message it is. Am I in trouble? Is it something I've done? And the angel begins to show her um, significance in the way that we think of it is not the way in which God thinks of it. it. Let me just read this for you. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Those may be some of the more beautiful words in all of Luke's gospel that you have found favor with God. That word favor is the same word we use for grace, meaning there is nothing that you have done good or bad, Mary, but this is what you know. God has favor on you. God has accepted you. God has chosen you. God has desired to show and lavish grace upon you. He loves you because he loves you. He understands your situation, and he's not afraid of you. And then what we see in the Christmas story when God puts on flesh, or the theological phrase, the incarnation, is that God desires to move in the neighborhood where Mary's from. Right? And he's not trying to gentrify it. He's like, it's going to be the way it is, right? He loves it. And he loves her. And he shows her that sort of grace. And the angel says, don't even worry about it. God has this. (laughs) That those are beautiful words. That you have been chosen and accepted by grace. So every man and every woman, we we need to find ourselves in Mary's position. An ordinary girl ordinary girl that God does extraordinary things through. An ordinary girl who didn't come from the haves, definitely from the have-nots, and God says, I've shown favor on you. There's something we begin to see about our Savior and the type of people that he hangs out with, and literally the type of people that God would say, I will entrust you with my son. Do you understand the responsibility of that? A lot of you guys are having babies. God bless you you would barely let a stranger or even your close friends hold your baby, right? Not yet, where have you been, who have you been with? Nope, what countries have you traveled to? You need to sign this paper, right? <laughs> do you have any fruit? Have you traveled that fruit from state to state, right? We have all of these things, like I'm, I'm keeping this, how do I hold this baby? <laughs> I'm keeping this baby away from you, right? Where God's saying, all right, listen, I'm gonna give you my son, I'm gonna put him in you, and you're gonna raise him, don't worry about it, I found favor, you're good. And you're good ultimately because God is good. <laughs> That radically changes her life. Well, just think about that for a second while we're excited about that. And if an angel came to you and said, hey, you're going to carry God's son, and you found favor, you are excited, what would your response be to that? Like, what would your first response be to the angel? Like, thank you, or that's amazing. How could you? Praise be to God. I mean, something, right? Look, look at Mary's response here in verse 34. She says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I love that, (laughs) because she doesn't go, oh yeah, God, that's great, everything's amazing, I'm sure, I just, that's going to be great. She's like, no, I don't know if you know, because you're an angel, Gabriel, but how this works, but you don't usually have babies, you know, you guys know, right? (laughs) And the biology doesn't show that this can happen. And you, know, and, you know, both the accounts of Matthew and Luke, they go out of their way to say that she's a virgin, um, that she's staying with her father. And and she's, I don't know how this is going to happen. And so if we look at it, it's not just a question of biology. I think it's a question of doubt. And the reason why I think it's good that it's a question of doubt is that ultimately it shows that there, I don't think it, it doesn't show this. It doesn't show that she doesn't believe God. It doesn't show that she's not faithful to God. My assumption is that she was always faithful to God even before the angel showed up. It doesn't show that um, that she's questioning her faith. No, no, I think she has doubts. It shows that she's human. Unfortunately, within the church, we have somehow communicated that all questions have been asked and all answers have been given, so therefore there's no more questions to be asked. Somehow we've communicated that what it means to be a solid or strong man of God or a woman of God or a child of God is that you have zero doubts. And that's just not true for anybody, for anybody. That even when you read in the New Testament, many of God's people, they have doubts. You have John the Baptist, like John the Baptist. He's baptizing Jesus, he baptizes Jesus, Jesus comes out of the water, God audibly speaks This is my son and who I'm well pleased. I think he knows that's his daddy, right? He understands that. And then a few chapters later, he's kind of questioning himself. And he sends his disciples to Jesus and he goes, hey, ask him, is he really the Messiah or should we be waiting on somebody else? And if anybody should get it, it should be John. He's his cousin. We have doubts. Believers have doubts. And if we don't acknowledge those doubts and ask those questions, we may not come to the level of truth in Christ Jesus that we so desperately need. We have not asked all the questions when it comes to God. (laughs) Therefore, we don't have all the answers. And let me just tell you this. The church does not have the answer. God is the answer, and the church ultimately exalts and highlights him, namely the truth and the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? So Mary again gives us cues. This girl from this poor neighborhood, um, angel shows up to her, and she asked the question, how will this be because I'm a virgin? Now think about this. When we think of significant people, if you had an idea of who's going to be significant in your life, if you had to invite significant people, I don't think Mary and who she is, you would invite her. You probably wouldn't. You, probably wanna, you might want to go serve her and help her out, but I don't know if you would invite her. Um, and yet what God says, significance is ultimately not by some status that we give people because of what they can do or what they can't do, but significance is ultimately about grace. And if God chooses you and I through grace, how do we choose the people in whom we choose to love around us? I mean, look at the last few people you've texted and called. Look at your friends on your social media and see if these people are the type of people that Jesus would have hung out with. If he wasn't selective in his grace but he gave freely, are we selective in the grace that we give towards the people around us? I I, I remember being in high school, I'll never forget this, um, I was going to the movie theater. Now, I, I had, the, just the way I was raised, I had friends who were quote-unquote not cool kids in high school. There's always the not cool kids and there's always the cool kids or whatever it is. Kids are so mean. And uh, I lived in the neighborhood, like the, my neighborhood of the city I lived in uh, outside of LA um, was uh, a, <laughs> was, was, you know, we were were like the poorer kids in the community. And then there were kids that I knew that were like the richer kids and they had like the nice clothes and so forth. They were Abercrombie and Hollister. And then um, we walk into the theater and I'm with my friends from my neighborhood and these other kids who I knew um, from sports and stuff, they were like, hey, Rick, come here. And so I went over there and said what's up to them. And then one of the girls said something, I'll never forget, because I was like, this is ridiculous. She goes, who's that? And I'm like, oh, that's, and I named their names. Those 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 are my friends. She goes, why don't you ditch the zeros and hang out with the heroes? And she kind of laughed and like nudged the guy next to her. And I was like, is this like a Save by the Bell episode or something like this? Like, <laughs> did you just say <laughs> did you just say that? What is this, right? Like I was like, dang, you really believe that, right? Now, here's the thing. She might have said it. But do we act like that as the church? If Mary walked into our our doors today. Teenager, pregnant, no husband? Is she significant? Think about that. Has unwed, pregnant women been radically accepted in God's church, even though that's how God began to start his church? Think about that. Um, would she have been welcomed into our environment, uh, right? Like, would she have, been, would she have received the sort of grace, the sort of welcoming? Or we would have asked random questions. Well, who is the kid's dad? Or where, where is he from? Can you just imagine Mary trying to explain to people who it was, whose baby this was, right? Aren't you engaged to Joseph? That's Joseph's baby? No, me and Joseph, we'd never, we've never crossed that line. We're, you know, we're pure. He's been guarding my heart. <laughs> and, uh, right? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And yet we, we wholesale accept this story, but I don't know if we would accept the people of this story, guys. And that that's the, the, if we've received this grace, then significance cannot be what we've obtained or what we've achieved. That when we think of significance in the kingdom, it's what we've received only through the work of Jesus. So that would make us humble. It would not make us arrogant. It would make us worshipful. It would not make us boastful. It would actually unite us across our differences as opposed to divide us unless we were holding on more to the things of this world than the things of Christ. So, so, so Mary shows us something here about significance being from grace, but not only significance and, re, and subverting that story, but also when it comes to strength. That's another narrative in which the people of God in this time had, and their strength, they looked for strength. They look for strength that if God were going to show up, if the Messiah was going to show up, it was going to be by might. And Yet Jesus comes to a servant, and he himself is a servant. And that if we are going to live out the kingdom, that we ourselves take on the identity of servants. Because in our culture, strength is seen in multiple things. That strength in itself may be seen in our ability to make or to create or make the deal or make the sales, or strength may be seen in our ability to take science and technology and make a better world, but that's not what strength is shown here through Mary. Here's what she says when she responds to the angel. Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God." And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And the sixth month, her son, who was uh, would have a son who will call Baron, who was called Baron. For nothing will be impossible with God. That the last few verses seem like a tangent. Like why are we bringing Mary into this or Elizabeth, her cousin? It was kind of like. Mary, I know you're on Facebook, but just so you know, your cousin's pregnant too, and she's gonna have a baby. But that has something to do with John the Baptist. So then you get back to Mary, verse 38, and Mary said, "Behold, I am your servant, the Lord of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word." And the angel departed from her. The simple, the simple truths of being a Christian is that strength is not about what she can do. She acknowledged what she can't do. I'm a virgin; I can't make this happen. But ultimately, I will submit myself to your word. I'm a servant. Let it be according to your word. You want to know what the hardest thing to do as a follower of Christ is. If you're, if you're not a Christian in this room, here's the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing to do is just to take God at his word and to trust him. It's, it's faithfulness. It's taking one step and saying, if God said it, let it be. Taking another step, if God said it, let it be. I may not completely understand all of it, but I'm going to trust in him. There's a level of faith that is in the person of God that it's not I'm going to trust in my own strength, I'm going to trust in my own ability, that I can, what I can make, what I can create, what I can do, what I can say, as the Lord says, so it will be. Like That is boring stuff, and that's what it means to be a Christian. I, I, I've said this before. Because we're young, we're young as a church, we are seen as a cool church. Because we have very good, creative people at this church, they did an incredible job here, we're seen as a cool church. Nowhere in Scripture does God say, be a cool church. He says, pick up your cross, and the two most powerful words of invitation he gives us is what? Follow me. Where does he go? He goes to Nazareth and Galilee. And who does he call? Those who realize that they cannot and who receive his grace and understand the significance from him. And is it the strong and who he calls? No, it's actually those who acknowledge that they're weak, and then following him—that's what's strong. That is completely different than this world. It's completely than our own narratives. It's completely different than the way we teach our kids. I was just around a situation the other day, and if I hear this again, I don't—I might get in a fight, guys. I'm gonna tell you guys about it. I'm gonna repent. But um, if I hear another person coaching my kids and say, "Don't cry, men don't cry," I'm gonna lose it. I'll repent but I'm going to lose it, right? And it's going, wait, 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 why? Because that's not what men do. Says who? Who? Actually, I think that acknowledging that you're weak is what God calls us to do, that he may be strong on our behalf. And you're right, that may not be what men do in our culture, but I'm not trying to be a man of this culture. And I'm not trying to raise men of this culture or women of this culture. We are not ultimately trying to make a comfort in this world. We're realizing that God himself is coming, and he's the one who is our comfort, and is his world, and he will make it our home in the way that it ought to be as we faithfully submit to him and respond in his grace. Amen? We're just a different people. Mary says, Lord, as your word is, that's how it ought to be. Right? And then she responds, to, to me, one of the most beautiful language in Scripture, is when Mary responds to this, she writes a song, In verse 46, ultimately, she writes this song that I would say is a very subversive song because significance is from grace and strength is through submission and then power is not ultimately from the things of this world. (laughs) But the power that she recognizes is the power that comes from God. Some of you are familiar with Negro spirituals, right? And so uh, Negro spirituals are something that's very, very um, uh, prevalent in the African-American community. And here's why. It's during the time of slavery, as the African-American men and women would worship, their only time to really express themselves were doing services. And so they would have very, very long, long services of which they praised the Lord. Those things still continue today, by the way, and long, and long. Um, now, part of it was they began to communicate and express God, and they were very expressive in our, in our culture. And one of the ways that they, they had their theology is what some people would say, what well, they didn't have theology. They didn't have written theology. But a lot of their theology you can hear about through the way in which they wrote their songs and the way in which they sang their songs. There was a level of understanding, the duality of one, that God is present, he's far, but he's near, and then also the duality of that God is a liberator, like God will free us. So they heard the scriptures of a God who could deliver. They actually believed in a God who can deliver. And part of that was they had the subversion of their songs, much like the artists from Homeland, is they said, okay, we know that we cannot speak in our own dialect. They would not let them, their slave owners, at least one or two slave owners would be there and would not let them worship or speak to each other in their own dialect because they would, you know, cause a, um, a revolution or create an underground railroad to, like, free themselves from slavery. Which they did, right? But they did it. Ultimately, through songs. And they sang these songs, like low, Swing Low Seat Chariot, Coming Forth to Carry Me Home. Was home when God was going to restore this world, or was home also getting out of here and going to a place where I could be free? Yes, somebody can live in the tension, thank you. It's true. Mary does something very similar to that. Because poor people didn't have songs. They didn't get a chance to write, but she got a chance to write And she worships in response to God's grace and her desiring to follow God. And here's what she says in verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed." to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. I believe Mary was actually a very thoughtful, powerful woman, much like someone like Sojourner Truth. And, and here's what I mean. Many women in that day were not taught the scriptures, but I believe Mary was taught the scriptures. Somebody taught her, whether it was her mother, or her father, or older sister, or a tia, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Abuelita, somebody, right? They taught her, and here's how. If, so, you know, She knows the story she belongs in. She knows that God leans towards this. And she says, it's not the story that we've been taught, that it's the plenty that God will come to. But he says, it's those who have not that he will fill. That she understands that it's not ultimately through the Roman government, that it's ultimately not through the politics and the government of her day, that God will draw power, but he will be mighty in himself on behalf of those who understand how to fear the Lord. And that they will receive his mercy from generation to generation. That God was the one who would take out of nothing and create something. This was a story she would have heard. And the reason why I even say that, too, is if you listen to her song, and you listen to the song of Hannah and First Samuel, they're very similar. That if you've been traveling with us in this true story project, as which we're reading through the whole Bible, and you're in the reading plan, and you're about eight or nine days behind, like me, you would have read First Samuel, <laughs> And you would have heard that story and gone, this is our song, it's just the same song. I think she understood that the type of women, the lineage that she was a part of. Here's what I mean. Is that in Matthew's gospel, when it does the genealogy, at getting to Mary, most genealogies in Jewish tradition didn't include women. And yet she would have known that there were women included in that. And it was people like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth. That, that, that it, was, it was women like that that were a part of it. And sometimes, um, oftentimes as, as guys, as we teach the scripture, we say, well, it was the disgrace of this woman ultimately, and then now Mary feels that same disgrace. Maybe she did, but maybe she didn't. Maybe she just understood not the diss, but the grace. And it didn't matter what story or what room or what situation she walked into. Maybe when she heard about Uh, Tamar, and maybe when she heard about Ruth, and maybe when she heard about Rahab, it wasn't the disgrace that she heard, but maybe it was the grace that was also given to them, that they would be a part of such beautiful story, that now as she worships the Lord and understands where power comes from, it's not about ultimately being a man or being a woman. It's not about being a Jew or being a a Gentile. It's not, hear me, about being a Republican or a Democrat, but it's ultimately about resting in the power from above, which comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. As a people of God, there is so much richness that we can find in the Christian story um, of, of Christmas that is relevant for us today in this country. A mix of political season and in midst of a culture where rich people are getting richer and poor people are getting poorer. That is not our story. That in some ways, like the artists of homeland, we have to enter in and scream: this is not the way it's supposed to be. And then with our actions, in leaning into true significance like Mary, we respond to the grace of God, understanding that our identity and value is in not what we can do, say, or think, but in what God has said and done on our behalf in Christ. That when it comes to strength, it is not might and power in which we can do things, but it's us humbly and responding to grace, submitting to the word of God, and walking faithfully in the context of a community that witnesses to his coming kingdom. And when it comes to power when it comes to power, that we're not overly excited and we're not overly in despair when ultimately the powers of this world have failed us. Because the power that ultimately lasts is the kingdom of God, and through the words of our Savior Jesus, he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Because as his people, he has chosen to show grace on us, to spread his grace on us, that we've ultimately found favor in his eyes. Amen? So just just as you, as we, you close your Bibles, go ahead, close your Bibles. As we reflect today in our time of response, would you think about the people in whom God, again, who's he calling you to? And we've talked about this a little bit in the Sermon of the Mount, but I do believe as a season, as, as the church, we have to look around and go, there are people in our own neighborhoods, there are people in our own uh, places of, of work, there are people that I know God is calling you to, And I may or may not be responding to grace in the right way to live with them. It's intention, it's hard, it's messy, it's difficult, but it's actually the way that we're called to live. It's not something that brings division, but it's actually in Christ that it brings unity. And that we see ourselves relating to Mary more than we can think, but then also going, who are the Marys in our life that God himself has said, ultimately, bring them in. Bring them in who are the males, the female, the old, and the young, right? Just wait till week four when we talk about the older people, and you want to talk about a forgotten people. I know there's you guys over 50, are like, finally, we're going we're gonna to get our, yes, you're going to get your day. Um, and it's legitimately going, there are a lot of people that we can forget about, and, um, and ultimately God says, I have not forgot about you, so that you may not forget about them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you challenge us, Lord we would rather open up the gift of grace and celebrate instead of understanding the call of grace and to serve. God, you've called us to do both, to celebrate and to serve. God, that we live in the tension, Lord, of being a sinner and a saint. The Father, that we are called ultimately to live in the kingdom that is present and long for the kingdom that is coming. That you have called us poor And that in Christ you've made us rich. And we know, Lord, economically there are legitimately the poor amongst us in our own family and our own community, Lord, that we can come alongside with the things that you've given us that we may love. God, so often we find ourselves on the diss side and we don't experience the grace. God, I pray that we would ultimately be a gracious people, Lord, to those within the family of God and those who are not a part of the family of God that Jesus said if it was your desire to move into the mess that we call life, that you move into the mess that we call family, you move into the mess that we call mental health, that you move into the mess that we call ghettos, you move into the mess that we call the corporate world, you move into the mess, and ultimately you plant seeds of redemption, Lord, that Christ may be known and that he may be found. So in our hearts and in our communities, in our apartments and in our dorms, in our recreation and in our vocation, Lord, would we begin to be able to sing like Mary that the power in which we need, Lord, comes from you. That you acknowledge those who are hungry and you give them good things. That's spiritually and physically. God, we ask that you would challenge us and that you would comfort us through your word and through the work of Christ. We thank you in Christ's name, amen.